Hello and welcome to the No Holds Barred Witchcraft Podcast. The bestest, most, oh, well, it's not really the most popular, it's certainly, though, the bestest podcast on witchcraft and the occult and all that sort of thing that has ever existed and possibly ever will exist, Chris, isn't it? You know? Standard. Don't take our word for it. Ask your various gods and goddesses that you uh, pagans and such like to petition. They all know. They all know. We know they know because who do you think sends you lot to us? You people at the end of the psychic fair. Oh, oh, I've wandered past you a couple of times. I just feel drawn to you. I've got this really big problem. None of the psychics are able to help me. Do you have something that you can help me? Is there a crystal for that? Oh, Lilith, she told me to come to you. Did she? Hmm. She said you'd be coming. Did she? Did she tell you my name? No, she just said some fuckwits are going to be coming along, you know. Is your call in, in this life to help them? That's what she said, wasn't it, Chris? Old yeah, she, norm- she normally says, I'm bored of this fuckwit, so can you do something with them to make them more interesting? Mm. That is not even a lie. We have actually had that. Not necessarily from Lilith, I don't think it's happened. But we've definitely had it from a Bridget. Uh, I've spoken to the same person over and over again. I've told them the same fucking thing. They're still not fucking listening. Can you tell them in the English? (laughs) Can you speak mundane to them, please, Liam and Chris? (laughs) And we do. We do speak to them in mundane, don't we? We try. Yes. They don't always listen to us either, but you know. No, they don't. But at least they have no excuse not to understand because they themselves say, yes, I do understand. I've just chosen to do the same thing over and over again because I am probably by definition insane. But there we go. This is not talking about those idiots today. We're talking about other types of people. We're talking about products, Mr. Chris. Now, there's a wonderful post someone put in the Witchcraft Live group. I think it could have been Lady Poison, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, what, a little while ago now. Um, and it was all about spellcasting and charging money for spellcasting and such like that, which I will end up doing a ramblings, I promise, on that specific subject, because I have a lot to say about it. However, I figured today, given the launch of the new Thoth Witchcraft shop and such up and coming, um, we should do some chit-chat, talk shop about witchcraft shops, our opinion of them, and you know, what? what is the ideal witchcraft shop? I don't think we've discussed this publicly. We've spoke at length about this on numerous occasions, like that time when we went and visited loads of them around the UK. But I don't think we've actually spoken about what the most ideal witchcraft shop would be. So there's a 20th century thing, really, isn't it? Witchcraft shops, you didn't really get them before that. No, no. You just had somebody's back room don't you or Or an uh, apothecary an apothecary with a with a consultation room yeah um which in some ways i feel like is still the perfect one Mm. i feel like i feel like the best the best witchcraft shop you could really walk into would be one that had like a really tiny frontage and then Mm. just a little rabbit warren of of rooms behind it with like a a little library um, and like a and, a and a proper little apothecary at the back of all the things that you can't put on show. Uh, like a back room apothecary for the front room one. So you don't think it should be a generic shop filled with candles and incense people can buy? No. Why? No. What's wrong with that? Are you saying there's something wrong about that? Like every shop in Glastonbury, are you saying there's something wrong about that? I think I think it's like with Instagram, which is it set it sends the wrong message. Like I think it kind of, unfortunately, I think in the in the imaginary world, I would love that to be the case. Uh. Of you just walked into a, a place where it just had everything you needed, um, and you could just go down but aisle by aisle and just get the things you needed. Uh. Um, but I don't think it will ever work on the basis that I think it sets the wrong it sends the wrong image. It sends it sends the idea that it is paint by numbers. Mm. And all you need to do is grab that item and that item. Uh because the book said 
like and i feel it encourages that whereas i think what needs to happen more so is that it's that place you go like if you went um so there's this <laughs> sorry to do this disney thing but you know that's kind of you go into there's a scene right at the beginning of beauty and the beast where she goes into a little bookshop and obviously it's a little t it's a little town in the middle of nowhere and she goes in and she goes have you got anything new and i just kind of feel like it's it's that it's like you have that you need to have that relationship with the mm. person that is there that kind of goes i'm working on this at the moment you got anything anything new that i i i wouldn't know you'd got Oh. And, and that kind of relationship of going, well, I've tried, I'm going to, I was going to try this, but do you have one of these? Like, you know, that you can go into a, a little witchcraft shop like that and go, oh, I don't want your bog standard frankincense. I want some from Guatemala kind of thing. Like, and be able to kind of be that specific. And that person behind the desk should be able to go, well, I don't have any, but I could put some on order for you if you want it. And, oh. um, kind of having that kind of i don't know um tour <laughs> um one of those tourist information offices right you know like a one-stop shop that just kind of goes well i don't have it but you can get it over there you want a tourist so rather than a some sort of service station on the psychic highways you want a tourist information center do you yeah is there going to be a starbucks in there no i don't you're you're taking what i'm saying too too literally literal. what i mean is a case of being that place that like a good bookshop where you go and you go i'm, I'm after this uh. and they go oh well it's i don't have it but i could get it in for you because those are the sorts of bookshops i've gone back to time and time again um on that basis of going I know if anyone can get it, it's them. Mm. And I think that's the sort of relationship that you should have with your kind of local witchcraft shop. What is a witchcraft shop? What's your understanding of what you'd class as a witchcraft shop? What is the, do you think the understanding of the mundanes is of what a witchcraft shop is? And what do you think, uh, someone that's fairly inexperienced within the realms of magic so someone that's been practicing for say a year and collecting loads of books but still haven't tried a huge amount what are those three different people's idea of a, what a witchcraft shop actually is i think for most of those categories they are the same which is they expect to be able to go into a witchcraft shop and buy the ingredients they've read all about oh. so i think it has to have like a you know a set of jars full of various different things um but they're all going to be what we would consider fairly mundane so oh. they're going to be your, your catnip and your your lavender and your nettle um mm -hmm. things that they could go and actually find themselves um so whereas and and then kind of like you know they'd have a section that's full of colored candles um mostly paraffin um like they could if they went into you know wilkinson's or home bargains or somewhere or if you're in the us a walmart and oh. just go and buy colored candles um oh. there's nothing special about them whatsoever um i think they just want kind of cheap ingredients that they can have a go with Mm. if they're in a witchcraft shop though they won't be cheap though will they let's be fair they'll yeah, be marked I think up for then, ridiculous price yeah whereas actually the only reason i would ever buy something in a witchcraft shop on the kind of candle front is if there was something special about them like mm. you know like um those kind of the big rolled beeswax ones mm. and you just kind of like I, I can't get those anywhere like even Jeff Bezos doesn't sell those kind of, you know, that kind of specialist item that they have crafted is probably about the only time I would buy something like that. Mm. Because otherwise I would go and buy my candles from Walmart or Wilkinson's um, and do. Because ultimately 
unless I'm crafting them myself for a special purpose. Um, I just need bog standard cam- candles because of the way I operate. Okay. So you class, because obviously the first person I asked about was you and what you class a witchcraft shop as. What would you, what would be a witchcraft shop you would be excited to actually go and visit or go and shop in. Now, this could be a uh, one from a pop culture, or this could be one that you've actually physically visited, or this could be one that doesn't exist yet. Um, I suppose the kind of one I, the closest one I've seen on pop popular culture that I would like would probably be um and it sounds really weird because it's not a witchcraft shop at all uh, of course so in the sense of it's not cool it's not what you would expect it to be right so for me my favorite one is from um i think the tv shows on netflix there i think it's on netflix now um but it's called the good witch right and she she has a little shop called bell book and candle which is exactly what you would call a witchcraft shop. I think there is one witch... called Bell Book and Candle somewhere. I'm pretty sure there is. I remember the website. Um, and I think it's nicked from a show because I remember the consultant killer talking about it once right. and going, oh, Bell Book and Candle, that's from that movie from right. the 50s. But anyway, um, she... You're showing the consultant killer's age now, aren't you? No, some people. I like lots of movies from the fifties. I'm only thirty, Liam. The uh, um, so yeah. So what I like about that is it's one of those shops where you go, and she's whatever you've gone in for, she's got it. Right. Um, so, and so you just want a shop which, when you go in, they have what you want in stock because everyone wants that, Chris. Everyone no, wants that. But that's my point. Like for her, it's a kind of it's not a case of they know what they want. Mm. She has an item that is perfect for it. Right. And what I what I like about her is because she's a traveller and has spent most of her lifetime traveling, mm. a lot of the items in that shop are hers. They're things she picked up when she was traveling. So it's kind of like, oh yes, I know what'll help with this. I have this perfect bit of incense from Tibet. Um mm that only exists in this one specific monastery, um, try that. Or, um, you know, they'll go in trying to find the most perfect wedding ring and she happens to have this Victorian silver piece um, that belonged to a countess. Do you know what I mean? Like it's that sort of, she has that relationship with the the customer to know, predict what they would want. Um and not in a kind of snake oil salesman kind of way, but in a genuinely, well, try this. Obviously, she's adding something extra in this this show. But my point is, like, it's that. That's the thing I kind of want. Um, what I would want is a case of going into somewhere and coming away with something I didn't know I wanted. Uh-huh. But is perfect for the thing I needed. Mm. And I think that's that's my kind of ideal. Now, we've both ran a witchcraft shop, both in person, as in physically, and also online. But things might be changing. Things might be changing around, you know. What was your original hopes and thought process for the original Thoth witchcraft shop? versus what you'd potentially like to see now? <clears throat> so when we first talked about opening Thoth, I think what I thought people wanted was kind of a one-stop shop. Mm. So that you had a kind of like thorough range of all the things that people would need if they're starting out. So that's kind of what I thought people wanted. Because that's that's what we were told. 
people wanted. Let's mm. think it quite frankly. We yep. went and looked at other shops and also spoke to people. And this is what people wanted. What I what we then realised, I think, to be candid about it, is that what they want isn't possible, which mm. is they want the quality at your kind of pound shop prices. Mm. Um, and actually, it's not possible to provide that. We're just unless you were Walmart and we're going to spend considerable resource in making that happen, you're never going to give that to people. And I think in, in a lot of ways, I think I found that quite disheartening is that we, we created something that was at the standards we would expect. Um, and I don't think enough people are willing to pay the price for that quality. Hmm. So when we first, before we first started the Thoth Witchcraft Shop, we visited many witchcraft shops, new agey shops, we visited psychic fairs and holistic fairs and all that sort of thing to get an idea of what the fuck is going on. Most of what we saw was mass produced shit that came from China. Or India. Then, or India. And then every now and then there was one person selling a limited range of something that they'd made themselves, whether it was like candles. And that varied in terms of, I suppose you could say quality, because there are some people that were selling quite good quality stuff where it was hand carved things or, you know, handmade stuff, jewelry and that. But then other people just got a soy candle, sprinkled some shit on the top of it and then sold that for five to ten pounds you know it, it was very varied you could say that that's homemade because technically it is homemade pimped i suppose um the the spiders web i think was the main the main purpose of the thoth witchcraft shop mark one or the original thoth witchcraft shop it was a spider's web it was about like these little magpies get attracted to tarot cards or candles and all that sort of thing. And what tends to happen is they tend to get taken advantage of, or they tend to be very quiet, come in, buy a candle, buy a spell kit, blah, 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 then go home and then do it. Say the spell, do the spell, try learning the cards and stuff and, and don't seem to manage doing it. For us, it was about creating a spider's weapon. That was the bait wasn't it it was to open a shop because people that were interested in magic learning magic practicing magic and stuff would be attracted to that and then it would mean that we could then go and you know have conversations with people and such um and then as well it would cover a lot of the overheads that are that are necessary for that sort of thing because when you run a witchcraft shop as we have you'll find that you get a lot of these things from holistic trader which then comes from like you said india or china um, and the markup is is ridiculous. Like the markup on what people buy in a crystal shop, they get that for like pence. And you'll be paying pangs, 10 pangs sometimes, 20 pangs, 30 quid, 50 quid, 60 quid, sometimes hundreds of pounds for something that actually can cost pence in some cases. Um, and, you know, we were happy with that because we had a conversation. We were able to have a conversation with every single person that came into that shop, that came to the till with what is it that you're trying to do? What are you wanting to do? What are you, you know, what is your interest? Blah, blah, blah. And then talk to them and steer them in the right direction, which obviously many people really didn't get when they come and try to purchase some crystals. When you say, you know that you're not going to be able to just carry them and something magic's going to happen straight away, don't you? You know there's actual work that's involved with using these. You know you know that some person called Jade probably died trying to get that crystal out of the ground for you. We would have these conversations. What was really fascinating was the amount of people when you say that specific thing um, with regards to crystals and that is that they still want to buy them anyway because they don't really care about slavery in the Far East or wherever when it comes to them buying a little pretty rock for one pound, which we sold yeah. them for a pound each. It was always a pound of crystal. Don't matter what crystal it is, they're all a pound each compared to down the road, that crystal shop that sells them for five, 10 pounds each, you know, mm. um, things changed 
because we did think and maybe this was a mistake that we would start to introduce and say well okay let's see if people can tell the difference in quality so let's start creating incense ranges if people are interested in incense let's start creating these wax candles that are good for the environment versus this paraffin or a soy or something like that you know that they think are good for the environment but actually aren't let's start to produce things out of locally sourced you know um materials and that and then we can kind of bang well that's not really what people want most magical practitioners that i know they're either going to want to use something quick cheap and easy or they're going to want to go through the rigmarole themselves to hunting it. it down and procuring it um the people that want things cheap cheap quick and easy if they're going and buying something from a witchcraft shop they're either doing it to support local business, which is fucking terrible. You should not do that. Not support local business, I mean. I mean support the business of a witchcraft shop, like some of the ones that you have out there that they do nothing for the community. Um, they kind of, they, they're just collectors, aren't they? They just collect things that, with, that have the pentagram on it. At the end of the day, they just want something with a pentagram on it. And if they want something with a pentagram on it, that's fine. But the, the issue is, is they can get that on Amazon. Yeah. And they can get that a lot cheaper on Amazon. And it's probably not such a good idea for us or someone that wants to open a witchcraft shop to, to start filling it with products like that. Which, here's the problem. We did. We did. And things like that sold. And that's not good. That's not good. We had meetings and we discussed where we'd literally sit down and said, oh, people are buying these fucking nemesis now statues and praying to them, never having understood how to work with spirits before or whether they're even talking to the right one. You know, we've had these conversations. Where are we at now? Are we, is, 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 is the witchcraft shop something that we should be encouraging or is it not something we should be encouraging? I don't know. I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, Obviously, we had to kind of adapt and change because of COVID. Mm. So, you know, we then took a lot more of what we do online, um, stopped focusing on sales and focused more on kind of mentorship and teaching. Mm. Um, now that that kind of wave has subsided for a certain amount of time, um, you know, we're now at that point where we can refocus. I know a big part of what, we decided is that you know moving forward what people pay money for is us um knowledge which, which is which is never what we actually plan to do at all yeah um it was supposed to be a sideline to get people interested or to offer you know the sorts of services we're both used to providing um whereas actually most of them would rather go and pay a premium line five pound a minute uh, to go and get their tarot read mm. um, instead of actually doing something about their journey. So I don't know, it's tricky. Um, I think one of the things that were quite popular and I, I quite enjoyed working on were the kits. Mm. Um, I think selling the individual items uh, were kind of there as refills because mm -hmm. people really just wanted the full shebang of us telling them how to do it, yeah. which again is not what we wanted, yeah. but they were really good sellers. Mm. Um, what's blo what blew my mind was things like what I wanted to be an amazing seller um, because I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, weren't, which is, mm. you know, like the planetary yarns which are genius and you could not get anywhere else um but they're nowhere near as popular as i thought they would be mm. you know yes they've sold but kind of like yeah i'm surprised but again i think it's we think when we do things like that we've expected um a higher level of practitioner going actually that's really cool and i can't get that anywhere mm. um but you know it's too complicated for the collectors i think for mm. the collectors the the concept of that is too scary mm. 
the, um, whereas the, if you had a, had a physical shop and we were walking in and we were having those conversations and go that this is what those are for mm. they would sell but they don't sell without it so the um the biggest sellers come the end of the physical shop was the casting a spell with liam and chris yeah. So where we sit down and we help them construct their first ever spell or a spell, you know, a lot of these people have been doing spells before with mixed results, but we'd sit down with them around a consultation table. We'd let them pick the materials. It didn't really matter how much quantities of what it was just, we would help you design a spell. You'd cast it, you'd do it there, or at the very least you'd do the start of it there. Um, that was the most popular and I'm glad we did that. I think that we put a lot of knowledge out there and there's a lot of very happy customers and such from that um in terms of what i'd like to propose because i like to make a proposal but i'm not going to do it publicly i'm going to wait for the extended edition mm. um that was good that was good it wasn't what i think well no one else was doing it that that's the shocking bit the fact that no witchcraft shops mm. they're really doing spell casting lessons as a product mm. they might sell a candle and then say you can light that candle at our altar in our store but no one richly literally when they said you know here's this you know what spell would you like because we had a bunch of example kind of jar spells and charm bags and stuff like hung up and that in cabinets and they'd normally go oh i want one of those and so i'm like oh you have to make it now with us or we're going to take you through it oh do i can i not just buy that one no you fucking can't it's for display purposes only yeah. you know the one thing that I was very upset is we didn't, or I don't know whether I'm upset or not, there's lovely daggers and such that we used to put mm. in the bottom shelf so that the kids could have easy access to them and wave them about. Wonderful. We didn't really sell much of those, which I'm kind of glad. We didn't sell much jewellery because we got sterling silver jewellery. It wasn't like shite quality stuff. It was decent quality stuff. Not a lot of that necessarily went, which I was surprised at. Come the end, it was all consultation work. It was all wanting us to help them fix problems, which I like. But we don't need a witchcraft shop to do that. No. We just need ourselves. So, you know, um, the history of witchcraft shops, I suppose, is an interesting one. Because I said that they're, they're really a 20th century thing, you know, because obviously witchcraft and magic and stuff was a bit, you know of an iffy subject back in the day you know it would be you know it would it would be like maybe your borgen and burke's type deal but it would be more classed as an antique store i should imagine in the victorian era it would be an antique store where the person there or a used bookshop where the person there has an interest in the occult and there seems to be an abundance of occulty kind of objects you know as things changed with the 20th century you'll tend to find that well actually there's a lot of more people interested in practicing where do they find other like-minded people where they find someone from a specific witchcraft style shop and that witchcraft style shop probably doesn't do a huge amount of trade in person what they do have is a catalog a lot of these witchcraft shops did a lot before the internet came along were mainly just small little operated businesses that had a catalog that they'd send through the post and people would you know literally send cash potentially checks through the post you know and they'd be weird occult items maybe candles and such but they would normally be things that you'd find that were necessary for you know key of solomon type stuff or something that witches kind of need maybe herbs and such like that but it was very much i think community is what we, people were after or the ability to do this copy and paste thing oh i've got this oh i've got this uh this book and it says i need these ingredients where the fuck do i find some turtle blood from well, i suppose i'll go to the occult shop that's how they kind of changed and moved and i think that pop culture has obviously picked up on that um but anyway, we'll discuss this more in the extended edition. That's it for the regular edition of the No Horse Barred Witchcraft podcast. And yes, the Thoth Witchcraft shop may be coming back. So when it gets to what I would say probably like the 90s, because that's when you start to get people quite liberal. You know, 80s is very liberal, but 90s is kind of like technology 
coming in you get a lot of technology you get basic websites and stuff like that coming in you get people educated with that um all these little witchcraft shops in glastonbury and stuff it was easy for them to make a website and sell their wares and stuff you could start to use paypal and that kind of thing to buy things but it's very worse well, shit with a pentagram on it isn't it yeah i think if anything it's worse because at least with the witchcraft shops from way earlier in the 20th century you would have to have a real interest in the occult to go there because they'd be creepy and owned by some creepy weirdo which you then ask questions about and or, you'd probably still only get access if you knew somebody yeah and um, or you would need a catalog in which case you'd need to find somewhere that stocked an occulty kind of catalog of stuff and you would order a couple of things and you probably would sign up to some sort of newsletter or like a magazine or something it was probably some sort of an occult newsletter um i think 90s 20th century and the early 21st centuries where things have changed a lot because at that point you don't need anyone else you don't need to form a network you can buy a llewellyn book you can buy your herbs you can buy this and there is no community needed mm. And that's where you start to see this boohoo and urban outfitters and all these, you know, mainstream shops, home sense, starting to sell tarot cards and crystal kits and stuff like that, very commercialized. And primarily, I feel that that's bullshit. Like a lot of people will say, I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, it's quite good, you know, embracing different forms of, you know, thought process. I, I think ultimately, if I don't know anything other than this, it, or if I can tell you something <laughs> that I've learned, you won't get anywhere in the occult without some fucking bollocks. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a patriarchal masculine, you know, you, women won't <laughs> get anywhere. Like me. I mean, it takes courage and oomph to get anywhere in the occult and safe crystal bullshit and this pepper pig my little pony ouija board type stuff is very funny and such and some people would argue that it makes magic accessible to people when i would say do we need to make magic that accessible do we need to i don't really know if we need to i mean if you're wanting to dabble in magic then go and be part of a religion because that gives you the safety net and tells you what you should be thinking and that kind of thing i think magic's really for the for the sovereign individual. And I'm not seeing a lot of that reflected in today's witchcraft shops and the commercialization of magic and the occult and that kind of thing. I mean, it's very much a case of the blind leading the blind when you go somewhere like Glastonbury. I mean, there's a lot of them. There should be a lot of magical knowledge there, but they're really fucking ain't. They're really yeah. ain't. I kind of, my argument, because obviously lots of people will kind of go, you, you know, I smell elitism, Liam, kind of situation there where you're kind of going, where basically saying, actually, we preferred the old days pre the repeal of the, the Witchcraft Act mm. when you had to make some effort in order to yes. go and discover where to access these things mm. or you had to learn to do it yourself. Mm. Um, and, you know, yes, lots of people will be like, you know, it's 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 got. It should be in the mainstream. It should be. It should be accessible to all. Um, and I'm going. My answer to that is going to be in the classical world. Mm. There were no witchcraft shops. Yes. And magic was accessible to all. Yeah. Um. So you know, it was that part of magic was part of everybody's life. It just wasn't taught in that way. It was part of culture um and i think what what they've tried to do is push it in that very uh, that very material materialistic um it's a lifestyle choice and the lifestyle lifestyle choice is not the same as culture mm. something that is embodied and available to all and i think that's what i miss is that, that everyone holds their own kind of spirituality whatever mm. that may be um they all hold their own relationship with whatever god they spend their time with 
um, and that you couldn't go and buy it from like it's from a corner shop mm. like it's a package of crisps or a cho- favourite chocolate bar mm. uh, which is I kind of feel like where it's currently at is that these sorts of things have become a lifestyle choice rather than a journey or a pathway um, you know a lot of these stores are full of um, you know your eastern incenses mm because of the craze of yoga Mm. because of reiki and they've all kind of become this kind of new age conglomerate um that they're trying to be you know ethical Mm. and um living a more um what's that phrase uh authentic lifestyle yeah and you're like but you've just bought incense that is made in China with a fake Indian stamp on the front of it. And a um, massive carbon footprint. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's been flown across the world, literally halfway across the world. And yet you feel that that somehow is better than you just planting a rosemary or a, a lavender bush in your garden um, and just harvesting it once a year like it genuinely is that simple like most people are like oh i need all these exotic things and you're like no two or three solid relationships is possibly all that you need mm-hmm. and you'd be practicing better witchcraft mm-hmm. than 90 percent of the people out there mm-hmm. um you know you could probably take that all the way to 99 percent of all those out there it is that ridiculous mm-hmm um yeah i mean in the in the 20th century you can argue it was still quite difficult for a magical practitioner to actually find things that they needed for their craft so even like i don't know uh a cauldron or a double boiler or you know a mortar and pestle of a certain size you know those are somewhat difficult to find in everyday life and if you didn't have the internet and stuff like that, the sort of things that magical occultists that wanted, it makes sense to start off a witchcraft shop because you know that there's a market out there for weird things like like that, that they're not necessarily gonna get. In the 21st century, which is where we find ourselves in now, um, that's not really needed. I mean, the amount of witches that I know, if they want to do magic, then they can get their extra virgin olive oil from the supermarket. They can also get jars now from the supermarket. They can get weird utensils from the supermarket. They can get loads of stuff from the supermarket. And that's just one of your standard supermarkets. We're not talking like Tesco's where they've got a home section that sells like all sorts, you know. You get paraffin candles you can get that you want to go a little bit more eco well there's loads of websites out there that are dedicated to eco products and stuff like that now i'm not sure whether there is necessarily any need for a witchcraft shop other than potentially our original purpose which is the spider's web thing which is to draw them in because it's witchy and then you basically capture them and set them on a decent path so that they don't get fooled into buying Llewellyn books for a decade Mm. before they start actually practicing but I'm wondering now whether that is necessarily even the the point to a certain extent because I've defended our business model because that has been our business model for since we started is not been about selling tarot cards and such like that is about intersecting people that want to buy tarot cards and saying you do realize you don't need the tarot cards don't you yeah you know that's what it's all been about um and you know when we fail we win anyway because when we fail they buy those terracords or they buy those crystals which puts money in our pocket which we then can then use for our agendas and such Hmm. um and i have defended that business model to a, a number of people and i'm not saying that it's a bad business model now but what i am saying is is it necessarily the only one? Is it the only one we have? Is it the only way that we can operate, particularly now with this idea of 
well, people just don't like, people need in-person interaction and people need community. And I think if COVID's taught us anything, and if mental health these days has taught us anything, it is probably that there is a market for some sort of in-personal, in-person and online training for witches and magical practitioners, you know, and networking and such. So that I think we're definitely in the right market for that. In terms of how that looks, how what we've been doing has been very organic, mm. you know, the podcast, we just take stuff and ideas and we throw it at the wall and we see what sticks. And people like you guys, the people that listen, you tell us. You tell us by how many views we get on certain things. You tell us by, Liam, I don't like the fact you keep covering Disney. You know, we get, oh, can you please talk about this subject? Or, or how do I do that? Or I've noticed this. What's your take on it? Or when are we getting that back in stock? You know, all of these things tell us a little bit about what people want. What teaches us the most, of course, is when we sit down and actually mentor. I think that teaches me the most. Um, but I don't know. Is our business model adapting and evolving? Do we need to scrap the witchcraft shop altogether? Do you have any strong thoughts either way about any of this? No, I think I think ultimately our business model has always been the same, which is and will stay the same, which is that we adapt to the need of of the kind of the community we've created. Hmm. Um, I think ultimately, even if we stopped having um, a witchcraft shop, that people still know if they wanted something made up, they would just ask us. Hmm. Um, there is there is a part of it that bothers me, which I've talked about many a time before. I think which is that there is any kind of fear to contact us. Um, yeah, there's loads that, of that. That bothers me, mm. that that's still there. Um, you know, we've been doing this a few years now. Um, the idea that somebody wouldn't contact us to say, you know, um, I need this or I want that or can you tell me more about this process because I don't get it or, um, you know, we cover a hell of a lot in in a single podcast mm. um and i think anyone that doesn't have the um the kind of gumption and the drive to listen to our podcast a couple of times over mm. in order to actually extract all the the knowledge that we give there mm. and chooses to want to have a you know um baby feeder kind of pro process needs to go and find that somewhere else and come back later mm. um when they've got a bit of occult knowledge and i think we are both very accepting of the fact that people will go but mm. they all come back eventually because ultimately there isn't anyone else out there really mm. doing what we do um you know, except on a very, very small individual basis. It's certain traditions, I suppose, isn't it? Or certain you know? individual magical practitioners, but there's not a huge amount of education with regards to business. I mean, I've looked at some of the big names, you know, Treadwell's books and that, that are a big occult name internationally. I've seen their courses, they're shite. They really are crap, you know, and they cost. You get a video that tells you how to do a candle spell, which, you know, We've talked about that on fucking Fasty Witches for free. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue that we've probably done a more amusing job of it as well. But, uh, you know. So, are you going to give this proposal, Liam? Well, here's what I propose. Okay, so obviously we're committed to doing a lot of education. We are committed to rolling out more in-person classes to a certain extent back up again as we were on a smaller basis. Now, whenever I've done mentoring, whether it's one-to-one -one or whether it's teaching as groups and running like classes and such like that, there's a lot of access that gets produced in terms of material and stuff like that. So if we're doing a potion making class and we make a bunch of potions, people get to take those potions home. But at the same time, there's always stuff left, you know, which I normally put in my personal stock, you know, because I would use it 
potentially for clients and that. I'm wondering if we make a rule that the only thing that goes in the new Thoth witchcraft shop is stuff where the formula is given away and that it's stuff that was used as some sort of experiment or in a class or something like that, that we don't go down the route of ordering stuff from um, AliExpress or something like that, like all these other witchcraft shops, i.e. everything that's in there is technically authentic because it's been used. And obviously we would have to put a disclaimer that we can't guarantee that it's ever going to come in stock again. Because if I do an incense class and there's a batch of incense that's been made that's associated with something, let's say, I don't know, calming incense or something like that, we can't guarantee that the formula is going to be the same. I can guarantee that when you buy it, that it will give you the formula. But I can't guarantee that we're going to release another batch of it ever. Hmm. You know, that will be from that, you know, numbered sachets or jars or what from that specific class, from that specific day, and that's it which is very unusual from a witchcraft shop, but at the same time, it's kind of, well, that makes sense from a traditional perspective, I think. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are for that. Um, I like it. Um, I think it's a similar kind of thought I process I had, which was that, you know, if we threw together a batch of something because mm. we fancied doing it, Mm. um that's it that basically mm. everything that's on the witchcraft shop is um limited edition with no promise of it ever coming back mm. um if enough people were to say we really want that then yeah maybe we'd make another batch mm. um but actually no promises on anything because it might be that we because that's the thing i think a lot of what we do will be a case of well i wanted to have a I'm playing with an idea. Um, so mm. therefore, I've made a batch of them to test the idea. Mm. Um, kind of just going, rather than that disappearing into the stock, which is what it would normally do, um, you know, go into the travelling chest for when mm. we go and do in-person events. None of that ever made its way onto the website because no. you wouldn't mm. put it on the website because we couldn't guarantee we could replace it. Mm um or it would just sell out you know or like when we get to the end of a, a you know end of a season mm. and we're kind of like oh we need to do something with that that stock we got in um you know there are amount of times that i've gone oh there's that leftover tea mm. and i'll just turn it into a a bath salt or um or a candle or something those things never went on on sale they were just things that would just be given as gifts to friends oh. <clears throat> and maybe moving forward that's that's what we really should have been doing is just kind of yeah. throwing them on as a limited edition you know there's 10 of them if you want it get it while it's while it's there um so i know there are still kits i would like to do um, yeah, again, but that's a project in itself, isn't it? So you could put a limited number of them on, and you just kind of go, "We well, we made ten of them. Once they're gone, they're gone." Yeah. Um, I, I I must say I do like that idea. Um, yeah, I just see, got to figure out a way to use up some of the leftover stock from before as well. Mm. Before we, well, I quite like the idea. Out of the mystery boxes you know where you can buy a mystery box to support us if you mm. want to support us i know people give us money anyway and such and enrolling classes and such but there are still that i'm surprised how many people that are like we don't oh liam and chris we need to give you more money i want to give you more money you should put your rates up and such which we often think about and joke about but i mean we could do a mystery box where we just fill a box full of random magical stuff <laughs> just mm. send it you never know what you're going to get that's one way. Why not? Okay, we'll see. The new Thoth Witchcraft shop may be getting relaunched soon. And it may be very interesting to see what's in there. It may be also very interesting to see what stays in there. Or how frequently things change, I don't know. I mean, there are some things which, with a class and such, that you do every now and then that make sense. Like, 
you know, herbal teas and such like that. You make a big batch of it. Certain times of the year, you're going to be getting your, you know, your cold weather type teas and such like that. Probably there'll be stuff like that that would be in stock, you know. But in terms of the limited edition stuff that we experiment on and such like that, or specific individuals, I do a lot of incense making and that now. Whereas individuals that get to make their stuff and they always give me some. If you're making a big batch, I can just make, we can just make a bigger batch as a class and stick some on. You know, if you've got three people in the class doing luck incense, I don't see a reason why we couldn't fill up a couple of vials, one vial of each incense that they've made, put that in a little luck incense set and stick it on the website. Mm. You know, stuff like that kind of makes sense. It's interesting for people to compare and contrast them if they want to buy it. I mean, at the end of the day, the only time, the only reason anyone would want to buy something from the witchcraft shop is probably to support us. Uh, because they should be capable of making all of the things themselves, given that we give very clear instruction and help people do it. We're not these yeah. people that say, oh, I can't tell you the formula for that. We're the sort of people that say, here's the formula, go and fucking do it. I highly encourage you. And come back and tell us how it went. And that's the thing. I think, you know, you say that it's it's always been what we've done mm. ever since. I don't think we've ever had a secret formula of anything. Um, I think every every item we've ever sold has been like, well, it's these are the things in it. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, our feeling is if you can make it better, go do it then. And tell us. Um, and just tell us that you made a better version. I'd, yeah. I'd rather know, you know, I'd, I don't know. We don't have, we don't have egos where that's concerned. Mm. Um, the idea is, you know, encouraging you to do better is kind mm. of what we do. Um, is the whole point of everything we do. Is it's designed to, ideally, the only rule, the only thing we've ever wanted to do with Thoth, is improve the level of practice occurring. Mm. Um. You know, and I think we've definitely we've definitely achieving that all the time. Um, but I just I wonder why. I wonder what people would want other than that. Mm. You know, um, because actually, like you say, you will have your favorite brand of essential oil. You will have your favorite candles you will go and get those from the places that you want them from. Mm. We will never stock enough things to have everybody's favourite something. Mm. Um, I I think we were being unfair to ourselves in a set, you know, I think what we were trying to do was share the quality of things that we like. Yeah. And hoping that like-minded individuals would go, oh, actually, I quite like that. But then I think most people aren't willing to spend the same kind of money that we would Mm. for something. Um, But then that's based on the fact that ultimately it takes something rather special for us to actually want to do practice in in the physical. Mm. Because our our natural process wouldn't be to go and make a salve Mm. necessarily. Um, we will probably go and do that energetically, in which case we wouldn't ha- wouldn't buy those items. It does cover you from a legal perspective as well, because you're charging for a consultation for an hourly rate, mm. or you're giving them a product, you know, at the end of the day. That's what a lot of witchcraft shops do, is they sell curios, they sell a candle spell. What they're selling is a candle, they're not selling you the results of the candle. Um, which is why I've often encouraged magical practitioners in certain places where there's quite strict rules and laws that actually you need to be thinking about your marketing and what you're actually selling. Are you selling tarot readings or are you selling a service where you're telling the person who they're going to marry in the future or whether their boyfriend's cheating on them or something like that, you know? Um, either way, I think that we are probably going to be producing a lot more content. A lot of it's going to be a lot more educational. 
and there should probably be i know we've got on the new website there'll be some a bit like facebook has groups there'll be some groups people can join and one of them will be about professional witchcraft whereby we will give you some of the tools of the trade that we've developed for those of you that are interested as there are many i think last week we had a professional witch didn't we on the podcast talking about her practice um and it's interesting there's a lot of uh, a lot of ways in which you need to adapt your practice if you're going to do it professionally from an efficiency perspective you know a lot of people magical practitioners they're exploring they're doing their own work and when they need to do a bit of magic to fix something they need to do a little bit of magic to fix something but that's normally very different to when you have people knocking on your door late at night saying oh look this is happening and i'm fucked tomorrow because i gotta go to court or oh you know i'm i'm really injured because of this you know you've got your professional witches like um the witcher we've got um people that deal like the old cunning folk used to deal with like the map maker who actually finds people bleeding <laughs> sometimes bleeding to death in their living room knocking on the door saying oh I've got a little accident. I need you to help me. You know, these people that really do practice professional witchcraft, which back in the day you'd think of as survivalist witchcraft to help their communities and such, that's very cutthroat. You know, there's a lot of stuff like that that needs to be adapted um, if you're going to be able to get away with doing that professionally and make a profit. How many witches do we know that? are not very good at setting rates and prices for things or understanding what they're worth you know it's interesting so yeah we'll, we'll be putting a lot more content out about that probably sharing some stories from the past and uh i think there's going to be a, a lot more education probably coming and community-based projects and work which is quite exciting yeah. in a way i'm excited about the relaunch i really yeah. am um, I think we've spent a long time crystallising down what mm. we do best. Mm. Um, and it be interesting to see how that takes off. Mm. Ultimately, our community and what we can do is limited mainly by the people that are listening right now. You know, mm. when we have a Facebook group, is limited by the amount of quality posts that are in there. You know, if we have a, a interview with someone on the podcast is limited by how much they're willing to divulge, you know, it's one of those things that actually community is really important. And we try to put ourselves out there and do stuff. But it is a case of everyone that's listening and everyone that wants to be part of the community doing their best or doing trying to do a really good job of putting themselves out there you know and for me I think it tends to be when you ask or answer really stupid questions so really dumbed down questions if you ask a question about oh look I'm dying I need a potion it's like right are you going to give any information about this whatsoever you know you're going to give us any information or you know the quality of the questions often determine the quality of the answers also if someone puts a quality question how much of a quality answer are you willing to give you know how many people are even willing to give anything you know how many people are take 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 so it's a case of i think trying to encourage certainly with the new platforms that are coming online helping people get you know, to give people a voice that's very easy to use um, is going to be really, really important. And I, I'm really happy. I think one of the most exciting things is the amount of people that started to blog, you know. I knew there are some people that blogged in the Witchcraft Live group and, and the No Horse Bar group and that, but there's a certain person I know that started their own blog on a, on a, um, a blogging site and that. It's really exciting. I can't wait to see where that goes. Um, but yeah, stay tuned. All sorts of crazy stuff going on. Anything else to add, Chris? No, I don't think so. No? Well, in that case, goodbye and good luck. Light and dark blessings be with you, as they say. <laughs>
know, do they say that? They should say that. I'm thinking like that should actually be a thing. Fuck this uh, merry meet and merry meet again bullshit. I think light and dark blessings be with you should be our thing. 